All right. Um, I'm just curious, has anybody ever uh, been a part of a conversation, and I'm assuming the answer is yes, you've been a part of a conversation, I mean, I'm just going to make that assumption, um, that was a little bit tense, you know, like, and it was just, <laughs> why are you laughing? Um, and it just like the longer the conversation went on, the more tense that it got, and intense, and you're just like, <sighs> And there's generally two groups of people. Some of you, you, you even hear about that and you're like, oh, I'm like an avoidance kind of person. Like, I don't want to have that conversation. Let me avoid that. And some, then there's the other group of you that are just weird that you're like, let's go. If something needs to be said, we just say it, right? Like, you know, and you know who you are, right? Uh, but, what, you, you know, if you've been in that kind of conversation, maybe that's uh, with somebody directly, it's you and another person, or it's like you're in a group setting and maybe you're just a bystander. But even as a bystander, you're kind of like, like, the longer this conversation goes on, like, it's going to reach a tipping point. Like, there's going to be the boiling point. There's going to be the point of no return where there's this kind of an explosion because we're just heading in that direction. The stakes keep getting higher. The temperature keeps, raise, like, rising. You can, like, cut the, 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 the tension with a knife. Um, and that is what we're going to see in our text today. Like, we're going to see Jesus, as, as he kind of lands the plane on a conversation that's been going on for a while now, and, like, the stakes keep getting higher and higher. And there's just this feeling of, like, something's like something's about to happen like something's got to give like there's going to be some sort of of an explosion in this uh in this interaction um and so what's been happening over the the course of the past couple of chapters is we've been working through the gospel of john um we started it early this year we're going to finish up chapter eight today and we're taking a break from john until probably you know like february-ish sometime after the the new year and so this will be the last that we hear from john's gospel for a little bit but past couple of sessions together um jesus has been going back and forth and having a conversation with some people um, and in the midst of that, there's a back and forth between him and these uh, religious leaders, these Jewish religious leaders. Uh, and that conversation kind of comes to a close today, uh, and it, it gets really, really tense. But Jesus just keeps pushing on him and pushing him on him. He does not back down. It's like, and you're like, oh, like, just stop it. It's getting awkward. Um, and so, like, it's, it's a really good thing, actually, that, that he doesn't back down. Because even though it gets tense and even though, the, like, the stakes get really high in the relation or in the conversation— like where Jesus lands the plane, where he drives the conversation to, while it's tense, it's the best possible thing for you and for me and for, for everyone because he, in the, this tense conversation, is going to address uh, and point to the answer and solve the biggest problem that you have, the biggest problem that I have, the biggest problem that everybody has. He's going to keep moving it in that direction. And so we're in John chapter 8, um, and we're going to pick up, actually, I want to read the, the verse we left off on last week, which was John eight forty four, and it's going to set us up for uh, where we're going today. And so he's been having this conversation with these religious leaders, and uh, he's just said some things about like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm here to set you free. Like, I'm going to give you, like, I'm the truth. You'll know the truth. The truth is going to set you free because uh, you're slaves to sin. And they, they, they take offense at that. They're like, no, we're not. We're like, we're like God's special people and we're the good guys and God's our father. Abraham's our father. And then Jesus, to these religious leaders, again, we can't even begin to imagine how offensive this would be to the group of people that are like, we're right and we know God. And Jesus says, actually, guys, you are of your father, the devil, okay? You, you, your dad is Satan, um, and you want to carry out your father's desires. And here's what his desires are. Here's what this, this idea is. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he's a liar and the father of lies. So basically, he says, guys, he's in the conversation. You think you're good, but actually, you are Satan's spawn. Like, that's like Jesus is just straight up telling them, like Satan is your daddy, okay? Um, and so I, I would imagine they'd be a little bit ticked off by that. In fact, they are, and we're going to see that. That's kind of like the last straw. They're enraged. They're going to try to kill him. 
And what I want us to think about for a second as we move into our discussion today is why does Jesus keep going after them? Like, why does he keep pressing the conversation? Why does he keep being like, hey, like, because this is not the first time that these difficult conversations have arisen by, with this, this, this group of religious leaders. And, you know, he calls them, you know, children of the devil. And so why doesn't, if, if that's what he really thinks about them, why doesn't he just say, you know what, you're a lost cause. Like, I'm done with you. Like, we don't need to continue having this conversation because obviously you're children of the devil. So there's no hope for you. Because here's the beautiful thing about Jesus. And as simple as it is, it's a profound thing, is that Jesus loves people. He doesn't give up on people. Even the very people who really hated him, the people who were his enemies, the people who would be kind of responsible for having him killed, he's like, yeah, but I'm, I'm not giving up on you because I want something for you. He loves them. Even as he's hanging on a cross, dying later on, he cries out to God, Father, forgive them because they don't, they don't even know what they're doing. And so like, even though there's this, this, this tense moment in this conversation and they are opposing Jesus, he's like, yeah, but I'm not giving up on you because like, you, you need to know that there's something that is going on. Jesus, like, it, I want us to see in this passage that he is pointing at something and recognizing something um, that, that if you're a Christian, a follower of Jesus, we gotta have this perspective as a church. We will always fight to have this perspective, this idea that people are not our enemy. Like people are not the enemy, they're the mission. Like Jesus doesn't give up on these people. He's like, you're bad and you're awful because you're, you're against me. And so like, he's like, no, no, like, I, I'm for you. I want something for you. People are not the enemy. They are the mission that when Jesus died on the cross and he won this beautiful victory and it's this amazing thing, his victory was not over bad people. His victory was not over people who hated him or disagreed with him or rejected him. His victory was over the powers of sin and death and darkness that people are under the influence and the authority of. And so that's what he's getting at. He says, listen, your father, your father is the devil. Meaning like you're, you're part of this spiritual heritage, this lineage where, where your spiritual father is actually Satan. And as him being your father, like the head of that kind of spiritual family, you're under his authority. You belong to him. And, and he kind of has say over your life. And it's dark and it's, it's messed up and, it points us to just this, this reality that sometimes as Western kind of modern people, we shy away from where we're like, it's like, I don't know, aren't we past that? But like what, what's kind of gets bared out in, in our reality is no, like this is, this is a real thing that we have to come to terms with this, this idea that if there's God and if there's good, then there is an adversary as well, that there is evil, that Satan is real, the devil is real. And like he seeks to destroy people. Like that's what he's after. And in fact, like the, the, the word that we a lot of times use, either devil or Satan, Satan's actually not a name, it's his title. It means the adversary. Like he is against the things of God and he seeks to destroy people. Uh, and so like Jesus is bringing this into focus. Like, hey, like you are under his authority and under the consequences and under like what he says about you, there is supernatural, spiritual kind of evil. And, and he points to this idea and he says that, that your father, he was two things, a liar and a murderer from the beginning, we, we talked about this briefly at the end. He's referring back to this moment um, in the biblical narrative that's known as the fall. God creates everything. He creates humanity, puts him in this place, and it's, it's a place where humanity is meant to flourish. There's beauty and there's goodness, and he puts people there and says, you are my image bearers. I want you to represent me. I want you to carry this goodness and this beauty. I want you to take it everywhere. And, it's, and people, are, it's wonderful. There's right relationship between uh, people and each other, people and themselves, people and God, people and the creation. And then it's, it's wonderful and it's good. 
and then the ominous music starts to play because you turn the page and, and there's this situation where humanity is faced with a choice. And it's symbolized by, you know, the, the taking of a fruit like on a tree and we can have all kinds of fun conversations. Was it an actual tree? What kind of tree was it? Was it actual people? Was it symbolic? Was it archetypal? It doesn't matter. The, like the, the story, what they're telling is this picture that says humanity is given this option, is given this choice. It says, will you define good and evil on your own terms, right and wrong on your own terms? Will you decide what human flourishing is for yourself or will you trust God for that? And humanity chooses poorly and they say, we're gonna go our own way. And it results in this thing called the fall. And so often we highlight the human choice factor, which we should. Like we are free will creatures. We get to decide what we do and don't. But there's another character in that, in that story. That there's this, this guy that appears, there's this snake. Or some of you might know a snake a snake. Anybody? Remember that video? That's snake a snake. Okay, maybe you do, maybe you don't. But there's a snake that appears and you're like, this is weird. And the snake is this supernatural being. And at the time, we don't really know, but the later biblical authors kind of expand on this and they're like, yeah, that's the adversary. That's, that, that is the Satan. That is the devil. That is the one that looks to destroy. And so what he does, he comes to hum- humanity and he starts kind of spinning these lies, these half-truths and says, did, did God really say that? Does he really have what's best? He's holding out on you. God doesn't want you to eat from that tree. God doesn't want you to define kind of good and evil on your own because he knows if you do that, you'll be like him. He doesn't have your best interest in mind and humanity goes, you know what, you're right and they take and they eat and death enters into the world. And so that kind of traces back that Satan, what is he? He is a liar and a murderer. He, just, he spells lies and it brings sin and it brings death. And Jesus is like, that's the authority that you're under. Like that is the reality of the world that we find ourselves in. People reject God, sin, death, evil, destruction come into the world. And so Jesus is telling these guys, he's like, I'm gonna keep on you about this. I'm gonna keep coming after you about this because you, you are children of the devil and I don't want you to be that. I want something better for you. I want you to be free from that. And so that's really where we left things off last week. And then um, today we're gonna kind of see how that conversation continues. As you can imagine, these Jewish religious leaders don't take too kindly at being called children of the devil. I mean, would you expect them to? And so they, they kind of respond back to Jesus in verse 48. They say, well, you know what? Aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and that you have a demon? And so in, instead of like engaging the conversation, they just insult Jesus. They actually use like a racial or ethnic slur here and they call him like demon possessed. So, so to be a Samaritan, the Samaritans were hated by the Jewish people. Um, at a point in their history, they had the same lineage except the, the Samaritans. They were Jews who had intermarried and had children with uh, non-Jewish people. And that was like, a, you don't do that. It was, it was forbidden. And so the Jewish people saw the Samaritans as half-breeds, as dogs, as subhuman. And so their response to Jesus when he calls these things out and he's like, wait a minute, aren't you, like you are just a demon-possessed half-breed dog. You are less than human. We don't have to listen to you. So, so instead of engaging the conversation on an intellectual level or on a spiritual level or a theological level, they just like, will just resort to, like, resort to personal attacks. And I just find it a little bit ironic that, you know, what's, what's the phrase? The more things change, the more they stay the same because this is still what we so often do instead of having a conversation. And it's like, you know, smart. We go back and forth like, nah, like, I don't like what you say, so I'll just result, uh, resort to personal attack. And so that's what they do with Jesus. Like, you know what, we're just, we're just gonna write you off. We do not have to listen to what you say. And, and this is what I love about Jesus. As I said at the beginning, he's just gonna keep pushing uh, the, the, the issue. He's not gonna back down. He's not gonna be aggressive and he's not gonna be, he's not gonna res- result to uh, uh, personal attacks. But like, you know, he's like, okay, but I'm, I'm having this conversation. So he kind of just brushes that off and says, hey, I, I don't have a demon. Notice he doesn't even address the Samaritan thing, but because by like addressing it, he would give like credence to it. He's like, no, that's not right. I'm not even gonna talk about that, but I don't have a demon. 
I'm not under the authority or the influence of spiritual evil. On the contrary, I'm, I'm the opposite of, of being under spiritual evil. I honor my father, talking about God the Father, and you dishonor me. I don't seek my own glory, but there is one who seeks it and who judges. And so he's like, guys, I'm not, I'm not under the influence of, of spiritual evil. I'm here honoring the Father. I'm here doing his will. I'm here to set you free from the thing that you're accusing me of. And so he keeps pushing on this and pushing on this and pushing on this. And, and, and then he says something, and this is where the conversation is going. Because he said, you're under this, this authority. You're under the, the authority of the devil and like sin and death and evil and destruction. And I want to do something about that. And so he says this, truly I tell you, if anyone keeps my word, he'll never see death. He says, truly. Okay, so there's, there's this phrase that, that sometimes it gets translated different ways. It's either truly or very truly or truly, truly or amen, amen. Or in the old King James, it's verily, verily. Life is but a dream. No, that's a different thing, right? Like, it's like verily, it's, it's, it's this, this phrase that just means, hey, like what I'm about to say, there's emphasis on it. If, you, if you've zoned out, you need to pay attention to this part because this is a, a big idea. This is a, a massive kind of thing. He says, listen, I want to tell you something. And what he's about to tell him, this is why he's pushing the issue. This is why he, why he won't let them alone, why he keeps going after them and said, no, we gotta have this conversation. We gotta have this conversation. Even though it's tense, this is why I won't give up on you guys because you have an issue. You have a problem. And this is the problem, is death. So this is the fundamental human problem that you have is that, that you are going to die. This is the fundamental, like, base level issue problem, the most primal, the most, like, that goes back in time that humanity throughout all of human history has been trying to answer the question, what do we do about that? How How do we push that down the road? How do we make sure that doesn't happen? What do we do when that happens when we're confronted with that? How do we handle death? And death becomes kind of like the ultimate power play or the trump card that, that Satan and the powers of darkness tend to play. Like that's the thing when sin and, and evil enter into the world, death enters with it. And so like that's the thing that they've got. They say, ha. And it's this thing that happens that instinctively we know it's a problem. Like because like when we are confronted with, with death, when we're confronted with tragedy, as it seems like, I mean, if you're in tune like what is going on like what happens in our this, this small local community it seems like over the course of a couple of months it's been tragedy after tragedy after tragedy and death and, and you're just like what what is happening and when that happens there's something inside of us that goes that's not right something's wrong about that it's not supposed to be that way that, that we recognize whether you're like you're a Christian or a person of faith or not, that like, like death is, is an invader, is, a, is, a, is an alien, is a, is, it does not belong in this world, in God's good world. And when we see it so often, we just kind of like, because we know it just doesn't fit and it hurts, like we, we kind of are in a culture where we don't talk about it that much. We try to keep it out of sight, out of mind. And so we soften the way that we, we talk about things. We say, well, someone passed away or they passed on or they're no longer with us or they're in a better place because even to say the words that, like somebody died, it's like, it's heavy. We kind of live at a time in a culture where we've, we ship our dead and dying off to professionals and institutions. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong. Sometimes there's a place for that, sometimes there's not. And it's, it's complicated and I, and I get that. But again, it's just this, it's like, we don't see it. We're not confronted with it. It's out of sight, out of mind. Even in a, on a non-human level, I mean, you just think about like, the death of, of something like animals, right? Not very many people do their own butchery anymore. 
It's like I go to the store, I pick up some meat. Like, it, like there's this disconnect of, of this understanding that something had to die in order for me to live. Like we just, we're just at a time where it's like, it's just kind of, we don't think about it. It's out of sight, out of mind. And, and this is why when death and tragedy hits, it's like, whoa, what is this? It doesn't belong here. This is why, particularly, I think, why the pandemic worldwide, especially in Western culture, was, was so hard. We saw like death on a mass scale. And we're like, what, what is this? What is happening? Because when we're all part of a generation that's never seen anything like that, right? It was 100 years before something like that had happened. Uh, we, we don't even have like, I mean, there, there are generations before us that had uh, sickness and disease and had world wars and like death and carnage and it was just kind of normal, but we've lived at such a good time where it's like, that's been put out of sight, out of mind. And, and when like the pandemic hit, it was kind of this reminder of for all of our, our advancements and our technology and our, our science and our, our progress, which are all great things and we should push for those things. And yet, in spite of all of that, we're pretty helpless in this area that sin enters into the world and death enters with it and it's inescapable. But Jesus tells these, 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 these guys that he's talking to, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Now, he knew that the people who were standing there were gonna die. Like, he's not like, oh no, you're gonna live forever, right? And so he's gotta be more than just physically dying. He's referring to what is often referred to as spiritual death or like a second death. There's so many things about the world in which we exist that, that Christianity points to that they're just kind of a they are a, a shadow of a more true version of it. And so there's the death that we die physically, but then there's a truer, a deeper, a greater death that is like a second death or a spiritual death. At the end of the day, what death is, is it's a separation. Death separates us. That's why it hurts so much because that person that I loved, I'm now separated from. Can't make any more memories. There's no more laughter. There's no more tears. There's no more, hey, let's get together and talk. It's, it's all in the past now. It's this separator. And in the same way, there's this idea in which death on a spiritual level also separates us. But at the fall, when sin and death entered into the world, the consequence, the outflow of that was you will die, but they didn't instantly die right away. The death that they experienced was that they were cut off from the source of life. They were separated from the presence of God. They were cast out of the garden and his presence. They were exiled. And there's a separation that occurred between them and God. And so Jesus is getting at that idea. It's like there, 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 is, there is physical death. And yes, I'm gonna do something about that someday. But there's also this spiritual death. There's this greater thing that there's a separation between you and the God who loves you. And I want to come and take care of that. And so if you keep my word, you'll never actually see that. When he says, if you obey my word, he's not talking about some sort of moral perfection. He's not talking about like, I mean, I just read my Bible and I do everything that it says and I'm just gonna be really, really religious and I'm gonna do all these religious practices. That's not what he's talking about. He says, you keep my word. This idea is that what we call the scripture, the word of God, the words of Jesus, they all point to one thing. They all culminate in the person of Jesus in his life, his death and his resurrection. Everything points to this idea of like, you trust in him, you won't see death. And so it's like, listen, if, if you will trust in me, if you will know where the story's going and see me as the fulfillment of the story and, and put the weight of your life in me, I will solve that most basic fundamental human issue, that problem that you have, the problem of death. And that while you may, you may, you may die temporarily, you will live eternally. I'm here to take care of that problem. And Jesus keeps driving at this conversation and they keep going, no, we don't want it. The next thing that they say, they object and says, the Jews said, now, now we know you have a demon. You know, Jesus, we were kind of curious before, but now we know it because Abraham died and so did the prophets. And yet you say, if, if anyone keeps my word, he'll never taste death. And so are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? Who do you claim to be? It's who do you think you are? Jesus. 
All the most important people of our faith, of the Jewish faith, the heroes of our faith, they all died. Abraham, the prophets, they're all, they're all dead. Uh, Abraham, who's the founder of their faith, he's been mentioned kind of multiple times now in this conversation that Jesus is having. They keep name dropping Abraham. And he's the founder, like he's the, the, the original person that God called, that God said, I'm gonna do something through you. And so they point back, like, well, we're pointing back to the OG of our faith, okay? Like you, like you can't, like Abraham is the guy. Certainly you're not greater than Abraham, are you? Who exactly do you think you are. And again, Jesus is, he's not backing down. You guys, he, like, he's just gonna keep going after. He's like, no, I, I've got somewhere that I'm trying to take this conversation. I want you to see this. And so he says, your father, Abraham, you guys, you wanna bring up Abraham? Great, let's talk about Abraham. Your father, Abraham, rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. So you wanna bring Abraham into the conversation? Great, that, that's gonna actually set up my point perfectly. Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Abraham was, was a man in the Old Testament, all the way back in Genesis. God calls and says, hey, Abraham, you're a nobody. You didn't deserve this, you didn't earn this, but I'm gonna pick you, I'm gonna use you, I'm gonna do something through you. I'm gonna make your name great. I'm gonna turn you into a great nation. I, I'm gonna, and, and this is found in Genesis 12. And he says, and what I'm going to do is I am going to bless all the peoples of the earth through you and through what you do in, in your family and in your lineage. And so there's this promise that's made to Abraham and Jesus says, hey, Abraham rejoiced at my day. He saw it and he was glad. And it's interesting. So there's some different biblical scholars that kind of take different perspectives on this and kind of asking the question, okay, what exactly does Jesus mean when he says this? Abraham saw my day and was glad. There's some pretty cool things that happened in the life of Abraham that could be pointing to. One is just the birth of his son, the birth of Isaac. Because Abraham was promised, like, you're going to have a family. I'm going to bless the whole world. I'm going to turn you into a great nation. Abraham is an old man, and so is his wife, Sarah, at the time that he's given that promise. But then Isaac, the son of promise, is born. And so, like, oh, that's, what, that's Abraham rejoicing. That's what Jesus is talking about, that, that God would be faithful, that he would fulfill these promises. Other people still say that, um, man, it, it's about this time where there's a story where Abraham, God tells Abraham, you know that son Isaac that you have, that I gave you, that I promised you? I want you to go and sacrifice him. And we're like, what? Why would he do that? Right? And it's this, this test of faith. And it's like, okay, Abraham, I promise you that you're gonna have a nation and ancestors and Isaac, it's gonna happen through him. And Abraham's like, well, okay, God, I guess if you've said that, I'll go sacrifice Isaac because apparently like he's not gonna die or you're gonna resurrect him or something, but I trust you. And so on the way to the sacrifice, um, they don't have an animal with them. And you know, Isaac, apparently he's a pretty smart kid. And he's like, dad, I don't know if he said that. <laughs> Makes the story a lot more disturbing, doesn't it? <laughs> it's like, dad, where's, where's the animal for the sacrifice? Right? <laughs> And Abraham says this thing. He says, the Lord, God himself, will provide the sacrifice. And so some commentators say, hey, that's, that's Abraham recognizing that one day God would provide the sacrifice for sin. And Jesus is saying, that's happening in my day. Other commentators, there's a Jewish tradition or a rabbinic teaching that was around during the time of Jesus that um, in uh, Genesis 15, that Abraham was given this vision. They say that Abraham sees this vision and he sees all these uh, future kingdoms that would oppress the nation of Israel. But then, there would be the messianic age after that when the Messiah would come and rule forever and establish this, this kingdom. So what was Jesus talking about? Is he talking about one of those? Maybe. Is he talking about all of those? Maybe. But all of it comes back to this promise that was made. Abraham, all the peoples, all the peoples of earth will be blessed through you. I'm doing something through you. And that's cool and that sounds great, but it's even better once you understand how like Genesis is structured. 
this happens, happens in Genesis 12. So Genesis, the early, the first book of, of what we call the Bible, kind of is this origin story. We have that fall, right, that I talked about where Satan kind of tempts humanity and humanity says, yeah, that sounds good. Let's, let's go our own way. Let's do our own thing where Satan is this liar and he's a murderer and sin and death enter into the world. And as that happens, there's these consequences that start getting doled out. It's like, hey, this is the result of sin and death in the world. And, and, and God starts talking about the consequences to, to Satan, to the devil, to the adversary. And, and, and he, he says something that's so incredible is he's in conversation with the, the people that are there and he looks at the woman, he looks at Eve and he, he looks at the snake and he says, hey, by the way, her offspring, she's, she's, there'll, there'll be someone who comes from humanity and her offspring will crush your head and you'll strike his heel. So someone is gonna come, someone is gonna be born of, of humanity who will be the snake crusher. Someone will come who will, who will stomp out and put an end to sin and evil and destruction. As soon as the fall happens, God says it's not always gonna be this way. Someone's gonna come. And so you're set up right off the bat with this hope that says, we need a snake crusher, man. Like we need one who's gonna come and crush the head of the snake who's gonna, who's gonna fix what went wrong. And so you think you're gonna turn the page and it's just gonna be that and it's not. That the fall continues. Genesis 3 through 11, this whole thing is a fall story and so the people are exiled out of the garden and the next thing that you read they have some kids and these kids are two brothers Cain and Abel and Cain's like I'm gonna murder my brother because I'm jealous and the next thing you read is about this guy named Lamech who's like he sings the song he's like oh you think Cain was a murderer and violent he sings a song about how he's way more violent than Cain was and then, then there's another story in Genesis 6 where these like supernatural, like evil, fallen spiritual beings, they end up sleeping with human women and you're like, what is that all about? And they corrupt humanity and it results in like there being so much evil and so much wickedness on the earth that the, the floodwaters are unleashed. Basically God's saying, you want chaos? You, you can have it. And that hits like the reset button. You think maybe, maybe finally things are going to get better, but the problem just repeats itself. And the people build this giant tower and they, it's a tower that's meant to call the gods down so that they will do uh, the people's bidding for them to make the people's name great. So we're gonna make God do our own thing and, and God scatters them and gives them over to these other lesser spiritual beings, some good and some evil. And so Genesis, all of Genesis 3 through 11, it's just this fall. It's just one thing after another, after another. It paints a downward spiral where on one hand, kind of in the spiritual realm, you have Satan and fallen angels and spiritual evil rebelling against God. And then on earth, you have humanity giving God the middle finger and saying, we don't need you. We're gonna do things we wanna do. And these two rebellions coming together to unleash destruction, to literally unleash hell on earth pain and death and evil and destruction and you read that and you go you're meant to read that and go where's the snake crusher where's the hope what is the possible hope for humanity how can this get any better and that's where you leave things in chapter 11 and then you turn to genesis 12 and god calls a man named abraham and says all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you that right now, the picture that you get is that humanity is not blessed, it is cursed, that everyone is under the curse of sin and death and evil. But Abraham, through your descendant, someone is coming who's going to reverse the curse. Someone is coming who is going to set things right. And Jesus shows up and says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Because what was promised to him and promised through him is being fulfilled in me. I am the snake crusher that y'all have been waiting for. I'm here to solve humanity's biggest problem, the problem of sin and death and evil. And when we look around at the world, we're like, why are things the way that they are? 
Why is there so much violence and war and poverty and famine and hunger and, and, and there's, there's rape and there's sex trafficking and there's addiction and there's depression and there's cancer and there's like, why is it this way? And yet for all of our struggling and striving and trying and all of our advancements and we should continue to try to advance, yet we've never been able to solve the problem of the human heart. We've never been able to solve the problem of death and Jesus shows up and says, yeah, I'm here to do that. I'm here to solve the most basic thing. Like what, what actually went wrong? I'm here to take care of that. Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And these Jewish people, these religious leaders, they're just like, no, no, right? So they say, hey, you're not even 50 years old yet. And you've seen Abraham. Like, what do you mean Abraham's seen your day? Like Jesus is like in his early 30s at this point. They're like, you're not even like 50. How could Abraham have, have seen you? And so one of two things, either they're just, they're just really not tracking with him and they think he's being literal, or more than likely, they're just looking for a way to discredit him. Because throughout this conversation, this has been like, they've been, hey, you got a demon, you're demon-possessed, or hey, like, you know, like, you know, you're not old enough to do that. They're just finding ways where we cannot take what Jesus is saying seriously. And Jesus, again, he's like, I'm not, I'm not backing down because this is too important for me to let go of. And so he, he finally says the thing that really brings this conversation to its fulfillment. It is like the tipping point. It's like there's no return from this, this point right here. He says, guys, let let, let me make it really, really clear to you. Truly, I tell you. And so there's this phrase again. Hey, pay attention. Truly, truly, amen, amen. Like very truly, I'm telling you guys, listen to this before Abraham was, I am. Now that's not just Jesus having really bad grammar, okay? Because it's like, what? That doesn't make any sense. He says, before Abraham was, because he's not just answering a question of age. There are actually multiple ways like in the text that he could have said that differently, like there's a different way he could have said before Abraham you know, was I existed or I'm older than him. Like this is not a question of age. It's a question of identity. It's not Jesus saying, guys, actually I am super old. I'm older than uh, you know, Abraham. I just look great for my age. I have a great skincare routine. Okay, like I can, I can introduce you to my people, right? Like that's not what he's talking about. This is a question of Jesus answering something about his identity. The phrase I am that is used here is the phrase ego emi. Ego and me, and it is the name that God uses for himself. And the only person that uses that phrase and the only person that uses that name and the only person that was allowed to was God himself. When God first, when we first see this, someone like it's Moses in this conversation with God and he's like, well, who are you? What's your name? What should I tell people? And we see God saying, I am who I am. You tell them that I am sent you. And throughout the Old Testament, when this name is mentioned, the great I am, it's a name that is reserved for God alone. The Old Testament is written right, in Hebrew, right? And so this is written in Greek. But there's a, at the time of Jesus, there's a, a translation of the Old Testament that's been translated into Greek. It's called the Septuagint. And it was like the primary translation that they would have used. In fact, the New Testament authors, whenever they quote the Old Testament, they are most often quoting from the Septuagint, the Greek translation. And if you turn in that Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, and you go to that place where God says, this is what my name is, this is the phrase that you'll find. This is Jesus very clearly saying, listen, you guys, I want you to know that not only am I the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham, I'm the promise maker himself. Because the story was like, hey, Abraham, I wanna, I wanna bless the world through you. It had never been able to happen through the, through the nation of Israel, through the prophets, through the priests, through the kings. None of them have been able to do it. And God says, I will do it myself. None of you have been able to solve the issue of sin and death and pain and suffering and everything that we see wrong in our world. I am going to take it upon myself to do that. The I am is among you. And if there's any doubt 
about what he meant when he said that. Because we're kind of like, I don't know, did he really mean I was God? We don't need to look any further than how he was understood in his culture. And the moment these words come out of his mouth, they pick up stones to throw at him. As soon as they hear this, like, that's the last straw, Jesus. No way. And they pick up rocks to throw at him, to put him to death. Which, by the way, is actually the proper response. In their context, in their way of understanding the law, in their understand, way, the, the, what we would call the Old Testament, their, way of view, their view of God, like what Jesus has just said is blasphemy. To use the name of God, it was not allowed. And so their response is actually justified. It's blasphemy unless he's telling the truth. It makes no sense. He's, it's been crazy talk to this point to say like, I'm older than Abraham and I can beat your problem of death. That, that stuff was just crazy. That was insane. But this is blasphemous unless it was true. And they would know that for sure in just a few short months because in the timeline of events, about six months from this point, these religious leaders would get what they wanted. Six months from this point, they would rile up the crowds. They would convince the Roman authorities and Jesus would be hanging on a cross naked, bleeding, beaten so badly that the scripture tells us he's barely recognizable as human, laughed at, the God of the universe, hung out for everyone to see on a Roman execution rack, dying. And for a moment, they think we were right. He wasn't who he claimed to be because you, you can't claim to allow us, you know, give us this opportunity to never see death if you've died. You can't say that you're fulfilling the promises of Abraham to reverse the curse if you yourself are under the curse. You can't say that you're God, that like the source of, of life, you can't, you can't kill God. And so for a moment, they're like, well, he wasn't who he claimed to be. And this is why. This is why the resurrection of Jesus is the primary issue within Christianity. This is why like the, the whole Christian faith rises and falls on a single event and a single question, did Jesus rise from the dead or not? Because it answers the question of was he telling the truth or not? It answers the question of like, was he actually who he claimed to be? Was he the one who could offer a solution and a cure to our deepest problem of sin and death and evil? Was he the one that fulfilled the promises to Abraham? Was he actually God among us? Should I take him seriously or not? The resurrection answers that question. Because if Jesus stayed dead, he was no different than anyone else. He was no different than you or me. He was a slave to sin and death just like you and I are. And he had nothing to offer. He should have just faded into history, become an obscure figure that is referenced in a history class and nothing more. But that's not what happened. Because if he rose from the dead, which we believe that he did, billions of people throughout human history and throughout the world today believe that he did. If he rose from the dead, then what that means is that sin and death and the powers of spiritual evil have no power over him. That in the, in the words of the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Colossians, in the, that the powers of darkness have been disarmed and publicly put to shame. They've been disarmed and humiliated. They are defeated. They are living on borrowed time. And if sin and death and the powers of evil have no claim on Jesus, 
then the promise is, the gospel is, the good news is that the, 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 the people that were there that saw him crucified, that saw him alive again, what they record is that if those powers have no claim over Jesus, if you will trust him, they will have no claim over you either. That sin, death, darkness have been defeated. And so Jesus can say, hey, if you keep my word, if you will trust in me, you will never see death because it's defeated. And so here's where I just want to land this thing this morning. I want you to understand, man, if you're a Christian, if you're a person of faith, if you're like a Jesus follower, or if you're someone that's considering faith, this is where hope is found. As a follower of Jesus, this is what you're invited to anchor your life on, that whenever you're faced with the reality that there is sin and death and pain and spiritual darkness in the world, and it affects me and it affects you and it affects all of us, the hope is not that everything's hunky-dory and everything's fine, but that it's temporary. The, the, the question of whether it'll always be this way or not has already been answered. If you're someone that's considering faith, you've got questions, you're, you're here because someone invited you or you're watching online, like, understand that this is the hope that you're invited into. The hope that says your own personal sin, the things you've done, yeah, that's forgiven, but it's more than that. It's bigger than that. Death itself has been defeated. Evil itself has been defeated. And the reality is what we're in, invited to build our lives on is this hope, is this truth that while sin and death and spiritual evil may be your current reality, because it is. We still feel the effects of sin in our lives. We still do, we're still, in the words of Jesus, slaves to sin. We do things we know we shouldn't, we wish we wouldn't, but we can't stop doing it. Other people do things that hurt us, that damage us, that leave scars. We, we still face death all the time. Some of us are under, like, seriously, like, there, there are things, you know, there are things in your life, and there are things in your family's lives, and people that you care about that you know. It's like, that's more than just bad luck, that there's something evil at work there. The reality is that's still the world that we live in. But the hope and the beauty and the message of Jesus is while that may be your current reality, it does not have to be your final one because all of that is on a, is on a winding down clock. It is over. They've been shamed. They've been humiliated and there's hope and there's life in Jesus. And so he drives this conversation to the point where he says, this is what I'm here to do and this is what I'm about and this is what it's been about since the very beginning. I'm here to do for you what you can't do for yourself. And he's gonna say things that tick these people off so much that they will eventually kill him. In the back of his mind, I'm imagining he's thinking good because that's exactly what has to happen for me to show you how much I love you. And so Jesus, we thank you for that. May we thank you that you are the one that can set us free, that you can free us from the things that we cannot free ourselves from. That you free us from the powers of sin and death and darkness, that you are, that you are the answer to our greatest need and our, our, our greatest longings. We thank you that you are the fulfillment of the promises to Abraham, but more than that, you are the promise maker in the flesh. You are God walking among us, God revealing himself to us. You are the God who loves us so much that you will go to a cross to pay for sin, to raise from the dead, to defeat sin and death once and for all. God, I pray that those of us that are your followers, that we would walk in that truth and that freedom, that that would give us hope each and every day of our lives. For those that are questioning, that are wondering, Maybe they aren't there yet. God, I pray you just reveal more and more of yourself to them. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.